Well, I don't know if you've recovered from the excitement of the local elections this week, or the Welsh Assembly elections, or the Police Commissioner elections. You're all looking incredibly bored. <laughs> but it's not long, is it, till the European referendum, where we get the chance to vote, are we going to be in, or are we going to be out? Simple choice, in or out. Any Leicester City fans in this morning? Are you happy? Very happy. Very happy. <laughs> Ecstatically happy. Leicester City started the season with probably zero chance of doing what they've done. They went from outsiders to being victors. They went from out to being in. Who can remember their time at school? Some of you, it's not that long ago. Some of you may still be there. Others of us, it may be a very long time ago. But when it seems you get a group of people together, you always seem to end up with an in-crowd, you know, the people who everybody wants to be with, the popular people, and then consequently, and rather sadly, you end up with people who are outside that group. You end up with the in, and you end up with the out. In Jesus' day, the Jewish faith, rightly so, was all about Israel's covenant relationship with God. And for a Jew, they viewed themselves as in. They were in covenant relationship with God. They had the temple. They had the Old Testament. They had all the things that were required for relationship. But consequently, they viewed other nations as being out. Outside of relationship with God. Not having that potential for that same depth of relationship. But the Old Testament is littered with promises that one day, God would bring all nations to himself. One day, everybody of every race right across the world would be called into relationship. If you were here last week, we were looking at Nicodemus in chapter 3. Nicodemus was, if you remember, he's an influential man, he's, um, he's a theologian, he's a teacher, he's on the Jewish council. He's part of the in-group, if you like. He's part of Israel, he's part of that covenant relationship. And last week, what did we find out? Jesus spoke to him, and he said, you need to be born again. Jesus came into this man who had it all sorted externally and said, you need saving because you need the gospel in your life. You need eternal life. And he needs to hear what Jesus said to him. And here in chapter 4, we find another conversation, but this time with a very different person. This time with a woman who would be viewed as being out. Out of the covenant relationship that Israel had. And it all takes place by a well by Jacob's well. You can read all about that if you want. Genesis chapter 48, we hear what Jacob's well is all about. You can go visit it. There it is today, still there. It's been stuck under a church since AD 380, and there it is. So you can go and visit it if you want this afternoon. But Jesus is traveling through Samaria. He's tired. You know, it's not like the heat we have today. This is nice heat, isn't it? It makes us feel relaxed and comfortable, but this is scorching heat. This is the heat of the Mediterranean in the middle of the day, a kind of arid, dry heat. And he comes to this well. And the well wouldn't have looked like it does now, but it would probably have had a cover over it. Something where people could come and shade and, and sit and, you know, get out of the heat and the, the blaring sun. And he sat alone by this well. His disciples have gone off to get food, and a Samaritan woman comes to get water. Now, without knowing something about the background of this Samaritan woman, we miss so much of what is going on here. We miss some of the strands of what Jesus is actually doing. Because this is a woman who is marginalized in many different ways. I'm going to pick up three ways that she's marginalized this morning. 
She's a Samaritan. Jews and Samaritans just did not get on at all. There was a bitterness between the two peoples. And when King Solomon had, had died, the kingdom of Israel was divided between Israel and Judah. The northern kingdom, Israel, got taken over eventually by Assyria. It was then repopulated by people who weren't Jews. They intermarried with the Jews who were there, and they became this mixed race called the Samaritans. Now, what also happened was these, these people, the Samaritans, they, they went off worshipping other gods, but eventually they came back to worshipping God, but not in the same way that was worshipped in Jerusalem. They only accepted the first five books of the Bible. They worshipped on Mount Gerizim. They built their own temple 400 years previous to this time. And there was a massive amount of bitterness that had grown up between the Jews and the Samaritans. So if a Jew was going to travel, and they had to get to the other side of Samaria, they wouldn't travel through it. They'd walk around it. Now you imagine you have something against Lancashire, and you want to get to Carlisle. So you don't travel through Lancashire. You go all the way around through Yorkshire and right the way around. That's the kind of thing they would have done. That was the kind of animosity that was between the two people groups. It wasn't friendly rivalry. It wasn't like Manchester-Liverpool or City and United. It wasn't that type of thing. It was deep, bitter hostility. Hostility that had been brewing for centuries. So Jesus, in just talking to this Samaritan woman, is talking to somebody who's marginalized, somebody who's on the outside. But what he starts doing is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy as he does this. Isaiah 45, verse 22, it says, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. All nations called to the Lord. But there's another way that this woman is marginalized, and it's simply because she's a woman. For a Jewish man to speak to a woman in the street was an unthinkable thing. This is a quote a really interesting quote from a rabbi at the time. Listen to this. It goes, One should not talk with a woman on the street, not even with his own wife, and certainly not with somebody else's wife because of the gossip of men. That was the thinking of the day. If you went out, even if you were married and you went out with your own wife, you weren't allowed to speak to her because of what people might think. It would lead for a lot of quiet, peaceful walks, but it might not be, <laughs> it might not be the best way of developing communication. But that's how it was. That was what was happening. What does Jesus do? He comes in and he gives this woman dignity and value that is totally countercultural, that goes against everything in the grain of Jewish thinking. But there's more still. There's another layer here. There's a third thing. When Jesus unpacks about her life, what do we find? She's had five husbands, and she's living with somebody who is not her husband. She's a woman with a long history and a present reality that puts her outside of the requirements of the Old Testament law. So she's marginalized again. Jesus cuts across these three boundaries and speaks into her life words of hope and words of eternal life. You know, I think there are two dangers that we can easily fall into as Christians. And one is that we don't make the call of the gospel go wide enough that we have a, a fairly narrow view of who we, who we try and reach out to with the gospel. We know Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, didn't he? There is nobody anywhere who is beyond the reach of the gospel. The power of the gospel is such that it can cut through any human categories of in or out, through any of our sort of prejudices and whatever else it might be. We know it's one thing declaring that. It's one thing singing about it. It's another thing doing it. 
Just this week, um, I had a, quite a long conversation with somebody who was in, in really serious need, somebody whose life um, was incredibly broken. And they were a very different person to me, with a very different background. And to my shame, I couldn't work out how to share Jesus with them. I hadn't done enough thinking. I hadn't thought about it. I hadn't prayed about how I would react in that situation. And I had nothing to offer but platitudes. How often, I wonder, as churches, as individuals, do we really not have anything to offer because we haven't thought about how to share the gospel? We haven't thought about how we make connection points with people that actually says Jesus alone speaks words of eternal life into your life. Jesus alone is the one who gives you dignity and respect and brings you from darkness into light. I hadn't done my thinking. I hadn't worked out how to do it. Now, what do we find here? Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit. Yes, of course he was. Jesus knew things about this woman that he couldn't possibly have known without the Holy Spirit's prompting. And God will reveal things to us as we speak to people and share. But he'd also done his homework. He also knew the situation between the Jews and the Samaritans. He knew how to engage in conversation. He knows how to relate to this woman. But there's another angle here as well. Perhaps today you're listening to this and you actually think, well, I at the moment feel marginalized. I feel somehow that I'm under condemnation. I feel that I'm not good enough to get to Jesus. You know, the gospel is for Nicodemus. It is for people whose lives are relatively sorted out and who've got a lot of the answers already there. And Jesus still says, you need eternal life. But it's also for people like this woman. People whose life is totally messed up and broken. People who are marginalized, people on the outside, people who perhaps have destructive patterns in their life. You know, we all do, don't we? We're all like that. You know, the gospel is for the abused, but it's also for the abuser. The gospel is for the alcoholic, for those in debt. The gospel is for those who have low self-esteem. The gospel is for everybody, and it needs to reach everybody. You know, we don't come to Jesus today because our lives are sorted out. We don't come because we think we've got all the answers. We come because we need sorting out. And we need Jesus. Because he is the one who has the words of eternal life. Jesus says in Mark 2, verse 17, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. Has anyone here ever been to the doctor to tell them just how well you're feeling at the moment? I don't think they thank you for it, really. (laughs) Might put a bit of a strain on the NHS. You don't do it. You go to the doctor when you're sick when you need looking after. Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Nobody is out of reach of the gospel. Nobody. If today you're feeling that you are, that is not Jesus saying that to you. You don't need to listen to those voices. Wherever they're coming from, Jesus will not stand in condemnation. Is our view of the gospel call wide enough? Have we thought through? Are we thinking through as a church? How are we going to share the gospel with all the different people who actually just live in Lim, let alone going beyond there? Have we worked out? Have we prayed? Have we asked the Holy Spirit to to lead us into those truths that we need to be sharing? You know, if we don't do that, we're failing to love like Jesus loved, and ultimately we fail our Lord, who has called us to make disciples of all nations. But I think there's a second danger that sort of goes alongside with that, and that is that by making the gospel call really wide we somehow start to compromise and we sort of think, actually, we forget the call to be holy. You know, when Jesus calls us, 
He calls us as we are. We don't have to put up any pretense. We don't have to make anything up. We don't have to try and be something that we're not. But he loves us too much to leave us as we are. And he calls us onto a lifelong journey of discipleship and growth in holiness and growth in Christ-likeness. Now, I don't think the life of a disciple has ever been easy. I don't think it's any harder now than it was in the first century. It's no harder to be holy now and to follow Jesus than it was then. Challenges are different. Jesus never compromised. And I don't think we're called to compromise at all either. Be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. Be holy as I am holy. So she's marginalized, but then we find out actually that she's not. She's loved. Verse 7, she asks for a simple drink of water. Jesus asks, sorry, for a simple drink of water, which opens up a conversation. Jesus uses the normal things of everyday life to get a way in to talk to people. And this conversation, it's not forced, it's not weird, it's natural, it's normal, it flows, sorry the cheap pun, and it just keeps on going. It keeps on going. It's all about water. It's all about life-giving water. And verse 10, he throws out a comment about living water. Now, we read that, and we spiritualize it straight away. But to the woman, living water would have literally meant flowing water. So the conversation goes down that line. This woman's wondering what on earth Jesus is on about. Because in Sychar, near that area, there are no streams, there are no rivers, there's just the occasional well. So if you want water, you've got to go to a well and get it. So she's sort of asking, how are you going to, to get water out of flowing water from this place? Do you think you're better than Jacob, who managed to dig the well? But what she wants is an easy life. She wants an easier way of getting water. The conversation progresses. Jesus talks about what the Spirit will do, about life-giving water. But she's still stuck on the physical, on the practical things of life. She wants to make life easier. You know, this well, Jacob's well, is still very deep today. It's 20 meters deep. Back in 1935, it was 40 meters deep. I think there must have been a load of British tourists going, throwing two peas in, in the intervening years. But it's sort of filled up. Um, Going back to biblical times, it would have probably been deeper still. I've never got water out of a well, but I can't imagine it's much fun getting water out of a well that is several hundred feet deep. You're pulling water up bucket by bucket. Hard work. She wants an easier life. She misses the point, though. Because here is Jesus... The Christ, the Word made flesh, sat talking to her about eternal life, and she thinks she's got an easier route to getting water. Now, how often we miss what Jesus is doing, don't we? We get sidetracked by practical stuff. But what does Jesus do? Well, again, he gives a dignity. He answers, um, he asks questions, and he, he changes the conversation, and he says, go, call your husband, and come back. She gives an honest answer. I don't have a husband. But now Jesus speaks something into her life that he couldn't possibly have known about in the natural. Something that cuts right to her heart. Verse 17, 18, Jesus tells of her experiences and tells her what has happened. And all her present, all her past, is suddenly laid bare before the feet of Jesus. You know, sometimes I think we can be very naive with God. Well, at least I can. You, You might not be, but I can be. And I can one minute be singing songs like we sung this morning, you know, he is the Lord and he reigns on high. And the next minute, think that he doesn't notice stuff in my life. Do you do that? You know, we think that God is all-seeing, all-knowing, we declare these things. And then when, you know, we sort of get into unhelpful habits or patterns of life or whatever it is, we think God doesn't notice. Jesus looks into our life 
and he sees everything. If Jesus this morning looks into your heart, he sees absolutely everything. There is nothing that escapes Jesus' gaze. But you know, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus looks into our hearts, he sees everything, he sees all the mess, he sees all the rubbish that is in there, and he loves us. He doesn't condemn us, he loves us and calls us to a life of repentance and faith. He offers us rebirth, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and the promise of eternal life. So what does she do? How does she react? Well, it's really interesting how she reacts. She doesn't say, well, okay, Jesus, well, let, let, let me explain my history, or, or let's have a conversation about what you, you think I should do now. She asks a question about theology. She asks some sort of technical question about where worship should happen. Do you ever find yourself doing that in life? You know, God has highlighted something in your heart, something you need to address, and you then go off on a tangent looking for some answer to some slightly different question, just to take the the spotlight off your heart and put it somewhere else. Now, the question she asked is a really valid one, and we get a really good answer from Jesus. But it's not actually as important as what's going on in her heart. I just wonder whether she's dodging it here. She doesn't like what Jesus has revealed, and so she asks probably the most pertinent question between the Samaritans and the Jews. But then we find she has the invitation to become a worshipper. Jesus takes it straight back to her. But first he answers with dignity and respect to her question. He says, a time is coming when the Christ, who is already here in Jesus, when worship will not be about where you go externally, but it will be about worship of the heart that is in spirit and in truth. And he affirms, actually, that at the moment, yeah, the Jews have got this right. This is through the covenant relationships. It says in Romans um, 9, verse 5, theirs are the patriarchs, and from there is traced the human ancestry of the Messiah, who is God over all. So it does come through, through the Jews. Jesus says, yeah, that's where it's coming from. But he moves it on from the externals to something else. Verse 23, the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Someone has written, true worship is worship offered through the Son and in living faith union with him by means of the Spirit. We worship, we're called to worship through the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We're called to worship in the truth of who Jesus is as revealed in the Bible. The externals of worship are not the concern of Jesus here and they never are the major concern. I sometimes think as as churches we fail to to recognise that. Now, how much time do we spend thinking about our services or the type of songs that we sing or how long our short sermons are or how we do our prayers? Now, there are questions about that. That's all to do with how we fit into the context God has placed us. But it isn't the important thing about worship. God is not seeking worshippers who pick the most trendy songs. God is not picking worshippers who have the best shoes. Although I did buy some new shoes last week. I hope you noticed. (laughs) God is not seeking worshippers who go to the biggest churches. God is not seeking externals. He's seeking the heart. He's seeking hearts that desire to live for him, to praise him, to honor him, to be directed by the Spirit, to see the fruits of the Spirit growing in our lives. And so in a brief conversation with this woman, this woman who's on the outside, she's been shown dignity. She's been shown love. She's been invited to partake in the worship of Almighty God through the work of the Spirit and in the truth of who Jesus is. And look what Jesus says at the end. 
verse 26, he declares himself to be the Messiah. The conversation she's had is with Jesus himself. And it's he who's the one who has done the calling in her life. We'll unpack the next bit next week where we go on and see how she becomes a great evangelist. You know, it's often people who've suddenly had their life transformed who then want to go out and tell others about Jesus. But for now, we'll leave it there with that declaration that Jesus says, I am he. I am the Messiah. I don't know how you relate to this woman this morning. Perhaps this morning you are feeling like you are the marginalized. Like you're somebody who, for whatever reason, feels on the outside. That is not Jesus doing that. Jesus never does that. He will call you as you are, with your past, with your present reality, with your ancestry, with whatever human categories you put yourself in. He just calls people because he loves us. God so loved the world, not a particular type of person. Everybody. And he calls us as we are to come to him. Well, perhaps you're not the marginalized this morning. Perhaps I'm going to make up a word now. Perhaps you're the marginalizer. You can add that to your dictionary later. A word that, that, that sort of says, perhaps we're the people who, who make up categories. Who says that these people are beyond the gospel. You know, that these people have gone too far away, that actually they can't be reached. Jesus goes pretty far away from what the Jews would have considered as somebody who could be reached. And what does she do? She finds hope of eternal life. Or perhaps it's just that word loved this morning. Perhaps you need to hear again just how much God loves you and how much God cares for you and how important and significant you are to him this morning. We all need to be reminded of that, don't we? And it doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. The moment you turn to Jesus and believe, he accepts you and he loves you just as you are. The gospel is that good news. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to come in fear. We don't come in condemnation. Because the cross where Jesus died has done it all. We come as we are. Or perhaps it's that word worshipper that speaks into your heart this morning. Now, I've, I may have mentioned this before, so I apologize if I, if I have. But um, a friend of mine once said to me, you know, the only person ultimately you're responsible for is yourself. You're the only one who truly knows what goes on in your own heart. You know in your heart of hearts this morning whether you're a worshipper or not. You can pretend to be but you might not be. You can pretend that actually you're going on in that life with Jesus, but actually the transformation is a bit stuck. You know, would you ask the Holy Spirit to do something afresh in you this morning? We worship in spirit and in truth. Would you ask the Holy Spirit to come and do that transforming work so that we don't just honor him with our mouths, but we honor him with everything that we are? So are you marginalized, loved, a worshiper? Jesus calls us as we are, and he speaks words of eternal hope into our lives. Let's pray.